underground. Strong language. My name's Eamon Sose, and with me this evening is Missy Demeanor. How are you, Missy? How's things? How are you? I'm good. It's okay. I'm good to be here. All right, then. And Ethan, boy brains. How are you, Ethan? Hi, I'm all right. Surviving. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm good now. I'm good. Thank you. Um, and Daniel Christensen. Daniel, how are you? Daniel, good. Daniel Smash. Good, good. No change there, so. And the city, Sybil. Uh, Sybil, how are you? Every moment I pray for the sweet release of death. Please oh, yeah, so no change there either. Good, good stuff. Now, so this evening our story language comes to you with uh, the prompt of a colour in the title. So, without much further ado, oh, oh, can I just ask uh, people, uh, everyone, um, but did you find it hard to find a, a home with colour in the title? Actually, yes, uh, much harder than I thought uh, that it would be. Mm-hmm. All right, Ethan, I know you did because you didn't actually find one. With no, color. I didn't. Not one that I connected with anyway. <laughs> Hello. I just wrote my own. Daniel, uh, without further ado, then why don't you start us off then? Sure. Famous poems about colour. I found a list of ten and don't particularly connect with any of them. What Neruda saw in wheat, I never saw, having walked through the stalk grass with its sticky fingers, pawing at my shorts like greedy children. Wheat was never the color of a lover to me. Know that I am gentle, but this may change as we collide, our prerogatives combine, our orbits decompose, and a pulmonary swell of reciprocal gravity wells combust. Time, temperature, saturation, autumn models the arms of arbors, Freshwaters froth and estuaries cradle, where deeper currents of salience do surely meet. Vitruvius squared circle of wondrous proportion strides off the scroll work in convoluted undulations and falls to dust. Time bends the arm of the river. And Dickinson talks of yellow in the rarity of a sunset in its bruised hues, but sour tongued and hurtful to the eye is my recollection, or the black tempests that swirl upon the sun's circular disk when I gaze at it over long. Can we know who we are, where we come from, or where we are going within any definable parameter? And would this knowing render the miraculous into a genetically designated automaton, rather than an observer of time's languid waters, of thunderstruck skies we gathered beneath in puddles of laughter, daring the fall of titanic forces, of shoulder-borne beers solemnly laid to rest, of gutting martial fires, and of colors. And blue is so often sad or tranquil in verse, much ado and much rehearsed, and we know that sea squalls and tempests are often darker shades of grays, like the shelf of locks on the brows of the old and worn. But blue to me is cool, like when I'm quiet between a red rage of poems that rise in the reaching arms of gin and depart in murmurs of their smoking entrails. 
and Blake saw the poet as a font of ever-replenishing dispensations, a diviner of infinite imagination, and it is an observable phenomenon, the more one drinks of simple light. Within the spectrum, the more one thirsts for a deep dive across the eye, across the infrared and its radiant coals. All the more its burgeoning dams, the ultraviolet waters burst. Know that I am what I was made, an assemblage of constituent elements, acting by will, acting by necessity, which was written into my bowels. A son becomes a steward whose responsibility is handed down by catalyst or by increment. A worker becomes a worn vessel, vertebrae stretched to their limitations. A pupil to many a departed sage whose lingering voice is the most constant companion becomes a teacher to those of his age. And purples and yellows and browns and blacks were my layered timeline of bruises. Weeks shaded beneath days, standing over the shoulder of hours, the crowded hole speaking words of venom when glanced across. And when I am alone, I am called sentinel, and when tested, immovable tenacity. So I think if I'm going to talk of colors, they should be the ones I've felt in my white bones, in their red and yellow rivers of marrow, and know that my intentions are true as the course of Cygnus, whose fine feathered symmetries wade through the black of oil, balancing the scales of compassion and cognition. And we hold to our communal soil, to the slow waltz of axial rotation. Blackbirds clear the evening's detritus, white birds laugh at the limbed shores. And I am true as the eye of the dog star, burning in a blue-white kaleidoscope, changeable only in reactionary temperate disposition, and only for a time. And this will never change. Of Colors by Daniel Christensen. Yeah, fair play, Daniel. You wrote that yourself then. Um, I, I had thought now uh, with the title, not necessarily with the title of Colors, but when you, when you said uh, you, you found 10 uh, that you didn't kind of connect to it, I thought you were going to go through the 10. Kind of thing. Well, maybe you did. Uh, I, I touched on a couple of them. Yeah, uh, I just wasn't uh, wasn't really counting. Decent enough now, you know, for something. That you, did you write that in, in the one kind of flow, or did you have to think about that? Or? No, I, I wrote like six stanzas uh, when I was looking for poems. And I was getting frustrated that I wasn't really connecting with anything. And then I sat down and I wrote like another, I don't know, 12 or 15 uh, to fill it out. Because I wanted, I wanted it to oscillate between physical, the physical rainbow of colors, the spectrum between, you know, infrared and, and ultraviolet. And then I wanted to talk about true colors. You know, the, the person who we are underneath everything, you know. Um, Did anyone see um, a movie called What Dreams May Come? Oh, I fucking love that movie. It's my favorite for the longest time. Yeah, your, your poem kind of reminded me of that a little bit in, in terms of... I don't know why, but it made me think of someone uh, moving through a landscape of shifting colors, and that reminded me of scenes in that movie. Uh, when his his heaven was completely composed of paint. Yes, that's it. God, that was a beautiful movie. Thank you. Yeah, there was some nice uh, some nice thing there. I thought, you know, when when time bends the arm of the river, that, that was very nice. Um, yes, uh, that, I that. Ethan, what do you think of that? Now? To be honest, I read the original. I really liked it because it was it was quite sh- it was quite short and it was quite to the point. But to be fair, like the poem as a whole, like reading the like obviously the polished version, I kind of liked that Daniel's taken 
us on a kind of journey he talks about like the classics and then he kind of gets down to like this kind of like this really condensed point about himself and his life and he talks about that through like colors so I really liked that and I love how it kind of became condensed with the words at the end as well you know because it kind of seemed like he was really digging to like the core of himself and I really enjoyed that um and obviously the language is always beautiful as well because Daniel has like such a massive vocabulary that sometimes I need <laughs> to go and get a dictionary. But, you know, um, but it was brilliant. I really liked it. I liked the journey. I kind of liked how he's kind of like gone from like the inspirations of the classics and then he's got down to, you know, the kind of the core parts of himself and, you know, why he wants to talk about the things that he wants to talk about, which also holds importance. So that's something that I really, really liked. And I hope, I hope, like, you know, I see more of that as well, like in your work. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Missy? Well, much like Ethan, I do, um, I did kind of prefer the shorter version. I think we kind of have a, a unique perspective of seeing something before it was actually finished. So it's interesting to look at the two to sort of compare how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the overriding feeling that I got from this poem seemed to be one of um, complete frustration due to a lack of connection. And maybe, and maybe that's how you see the world. I don't know, obviously, you know, through your eyes. But I think it got the most interesting for me towards the end of the poem, where you begin to talk about colours regarding bruises and scars, which simply illustrates that things should be connected to on a more human level. And I think it poses an interesting question regarding the more kind of established writers and whether they romanticize their language almost and I remember having a conversation with somebody on the DU um, many years ago I'm not going to embarrass them by by saying who it was but um, we kind of had this conversation that poets have this terrible habit of making everything sound beautiful (laughs) and that's always really stuck with me beauty is fine and wonderful and lovely but beauty is not all that writing should be make us feel pain it should make us feel anger and disgust and make us laugh and cry and you know and we should feel something rather than just beautiful because you know kind of beauty is like nothing really more than aesthetics I kind of struggled to comprehend like this this level of frustration that was going on through the whole poem And it was interesting to see that you added more to it. It's almost like you were adding to the frustration rather than sort of stripping it away. I I know I just found that quite interesting about the whole piece. Well, uh, we remember where I mentioned Vitruvius. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was uh, a first century BC Roman author, architect, engineer. And uh, the central theme for him in architecture was uh, he believed in uh, firmitas strength, utilitas functionality and venustas beauty. And, uh, when I read that, I thought that was very similar to the way I look at a poem, uh, you know, in, in the way that I, I write one. I like it to have good flow. That's where my functionality would be. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for me, my concept of beauty is alchemy. If you can take all of the uh, the shit and boredom and pain and garbage of life and uh, render it in what I call a keen linear razor, just cut it down the page and, and make it something beautiful, then you're just you're performing the artist's alchemy. Yeah, alchemy is, um, that was the word I was thinking of when Missy was talking about 
beauty, not being the be-all and end-all. It kind of reminds me of um, the filmmaker, Lars von Trier, who I was reading one of the old reviews of his film Antichrist recently, and it talked about how he used um, sex, pain, boredom, theology, and all of these things um, in order to rattle the audience, in order to shake them, to uh, have a profound effect on them whether it was ugly, whether it was beautiful. And that is kind of what art is about, generally, is about conveying a strong, or uh, evoking a strong emotion in the audience, such as, for instance, uh, Stendhal syndrome, where someone looks at something, a piece of art, and it has such a profound effect on them that they react violently. Yes, that was a... Uh, I, I was interested to also hear Missy talk about... Um, the frustration uh, the poem evokes, because although I didn't articulate it, I did get that sense too of someone uh, yearning for something more and not able to find it. In regards to the argument about uh, beauty versus, I guess, grit, that kind of reminded me of um, the old argument between uh, Oscar Wilde and Walt Whitman, where Oscar Wilde as a poet said that uh, beauty is the be-all and end-all of poetry. If it sounds good, if it's beautiful, if it evokes beauty, then that's all a poem needs to be. And what Whitman responded to that with, um, then if, if you're only aiming for beauty, then uh, that's, you should be aiming for something more, you should be aiming for meaning. Yeah, I, I, I guess if I was to articulate what I think Daniel's poem is about, uh, at least to me, um, having heard it, it's the search for a deeper meaning and not always necessarily finding it sorry if i've just rambled on there but <laughs> no I, th- I think that's pinpoint uh, there's a great deal of yearning for connection in just about anything i write it's it's almost the whole purpose of, of my writing to connect well, i think that's probably the purpose of most writing to, to, to connect with yeah. someone to or to, at least to convey oneself yeah all right um um, just out of curiosity for myself there, and maybe it might be interesting too, um, when, in, in terms of colours and in terms of uh, writing poetry, be it, be it for beauty or for, for grit, either, either one or, you know, whatever's in between, when you all are, are writing poetry um, and you use colours, are there colours that you would use to... Um, that are let's say uh, positive colors uh, and negative colors negative might be the wrong word but uh, if if you know what i mean it's, it's like let's say you know if i was writing something about you know peace maybe you'd, you'd write you know maybe the white doves or the white sky or the white something you know or um you know, is there is that something that anybody's conscious of doing? You know, especially uh, in terms of I, I suppose black and white. You know, what I mean the black death or the you know the to yeah. that is there is that something that, that 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 people are conscious of doing when i write when i write poetry i don't tend to write positively anyway <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i i i don't write happy i don't know why it's just uh, a facet of my nature so if i was to use colors there would always be or there would there would most likely be some kind of sinisterness behind it or some kind of uh, double meaning that isn't just purely joyful. So if it, even if I was to use like bright colours like uh, yellow, 
blow daisies or, or you know or white fluffy clouds there would mm. still be probably an emo-ness behind it, <laughs> behind it. Um, yeah you know, I, I suppose you can bleed white you know you can you can bleed white yeah. where, you know, where, you're, where you're kind of fucking milk where you're kind of uh you know that's that's might not be a positive i'm probably a little bit more sort of unique because of the work that i do with reiki and that sort of causes me to to feel a lot of people's energies which is the chakra reiki. system reiki is a is an energy um system where you d- deliver energy to your chakras uh through your hands so I see a lot of sort of color and they're, they're all associated with a particular color. So a lot of colors feature because that's the kind of energy I feel about the person or the thing that I'm writing about. So that's how they kind of creep into my work, really. But I mean, you'd have your, your staple kind of colors, wouldn't you? I mean, like blue, for yeah. instance, would be probably, you know, not not in the great, not in the greatest form or whatever. You know, I'm feeling a bit blue today or use the blues and stuff and yellow. I, I I would have thought yellow would be kind of uh, neutrally enough. Like I mean, you could probably you could probably you know impose that on, on you know something nice or something uh, not so nice, you know, uh, like jaundice, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there are, I I would have anyway, in my own head staple things like blue, you know, blue for you know feeling down or whatever, you know, black for for feeling like not even feeling, but black for you know bad enough things like you know black death or plague or or nighttime or, or something like that, you know. Uh, and white again, you know, be like peace and that kind of thing. Green, uh, I don't know, sick maybe. I don't know. Um, but there's not actually that many colours that I would go to for for, for stable things. But certainly, you, black. Which is that, you know, poems are, you know, your your colours are very personalised. You know what they mean to you. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of reminds me think of the, um, that painting by Van Gogh of his bedroom. Uh, where he meant it to convey a sense of rest and relaxation, but if you look at it, the bedroom is painted in a in a, in a very claustrophobic uh, way, where it makes you feel trapped. So uh, whether you use colours or whether you use setting, uh, anything, it just depends on the perception you bring to it. I think more than anything. Well, the one thing I would say there is there there are certain colours that are accepted to be you know mood mood kind of i mean if you go to school they, they'll put in a, a kind of a pastel colors to make you feel kind of more homely or, or something like that you know oh, if you go to hospital yeah kind of a light, light green or stuff like that so there are there are scientifically i suppose there are some colors that would make you feel uh you know oh, yeah, absolutely be, that's been an artistic sense Alfred, that's uh, actually a good point i remember when i went to um when i used to go to counseling the counselor's office was painted in a very relaxing uh, off-white beige colour. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine it it, <laughs> it wouldn't have encouraged good mental health if it was painted all to start black. Yeah, <laughs> uh, true enough. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, even when you're, if you're right, so I mean, you want to connect to something at, at some, uh, you know, on, on some level. But on another level, you you kind of want other people to relate to what you're saying too. You know, so in, in that way, I suppose colors can be can be used too. In that way, you know, to help people relate to. It. So I suppose it's fairly complex. It's not really going to be, uh, you know, a, a kind of a one size fits all template kind of thing. No, but there are there are kind of like I say, you know, there is a small bit of something behind it. Anyway. Um, right. Um, who was that? Daniel went first there, so I'm going to ask uh, Missy. You you've come there yourself as well. 
and a black, I think it's called. I do, yeah, at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> so yeah, this is Black by Till Lindemann. In search of peace before night's fall, I drape myself in melancholy shawl. The bright world doesn't beatify me. Got to have darkness for my ecstasy. It's the pregnant with the dead night. Enwraps us to a sinner's plight. Commandments that we disrespect are seen by none in dark's neglect. After the last rays, the soul gets lost in lustres. Then I enjoy the sun's demise, drink the black with deepening sighs. Daylight's loss leaves all the rest. For whom the night holds out her breast, drinkers, whores and conspirators, for them the shadows open doors. When day holds up inside the moon, a fever stirs the bones we swoon. No pretend candle here in the heart, no prayer to set light and dark apart. After the last rays, the soul gets lost in lustres. Then I enjoy the sun's demise, slurp the black with deepening sighs. I chose this poem because I can't even stress how obsessed I am with Till Lindemann. Um, as an artist, and anybody that kind of knows me is really fucking annoyed by it. Um, and I thought it would be sort of interesting to include a poet who just is not primarily known for poetry. Um, so Till Lindemann is the lead singer for the German industrial metal band Rammstein. Mm. and uh, the Swedish duo Lindemann and he's an almost 60 year old beefcake of a German that is um, known for sort of huge stage shows using excessive pyrotechnics and for his extreme kind of shock imagery used in his music videos uh, several of them sort of contain violence and porn and they've been banned or heavily censored on multiple sort of video streaming sites but I just can't get enough of him because he consistently pushes the boundaries of what his art is to him and I don't think anyone is really sort of doing that consistently in the public eye at the minute and I think that's what I find sort of so fascinating about him. So I chose Black because beyond all of that chaos is a man that raised his daughter by himself uh, for many years and is also still probably sort of dealing with the political fallout of his country and has all this kind of anger and rage inside him and frankly looks like a really intimidating brick shithouse but he writes poetry and that is just such a conundrum what i like about black is that it's translated uh, directly from his native german so i own the english version of the text which is on quiet nights and the german version uh, in still and next and and it's interesting to compare how the poems have been translated compared to what is originally said which just kind of adds another dimension to the poems. And I think sometimes when work is translated into English, it almost loses something and becomes quite simplistic of other languages face when being translated. All right. But Very yeah. Good. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at, I look at my own, like last, last week or last month, I don't, uh, I took a poem from, original was Welsh language translated then by a, by a guy into English and it, it wasn't really too bad you know uh, as such uh, and I, actually I found it a bit funny and, and stuff, you know entertaining uh, but do, when you're talking about the translation and you know is is there is there a vast difference I mean it, it would seem just from 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 you saying it there you know it would seem that the 
the syllable count is very tight. You know, the the, the rhyme scheme is very tight. You know, is is that the same? in because Germans have a totally different syllable system, don't they? You know. No, um, it's interesting that in German, uh, the way that it's written in German, the German language rhymes. But obviously, when you do translate it directly into English, it doesn't make sense um, because it's just random words. Because obviously, nothing rhymes, nothing. It has a sort of the same syllable count. It sort of almost comes out as um, what's the word? Uh, Alien. No, um, I can't think of the word. But there's a word where you know poems really just come out really kind of abstract, and um, I can't think of the word. But anyway. So it is different, I think. Yeah, most definitely. So, but but I, I suppose what I was asking was, is is it a different poem altogether? The um the underlying meaning is obviously there, but um there's just subtle nuances I think with the wording that kind of adds another dimension to it. It's a shame now you're you you're learning German, aren't you? Or did I did I read somewhere? I am learning. Well, yeah, I I kind of know enough German to get by uh, but I've kind of gone back to school about it <laughs> to sort of learn it sort of a lot more thoroughly. Uh, that's not something I, I, I it's not a language that I, that I find very like French I like French you know I've done French language and I thought that's, for, that's a very nice language it has you know. I've been learning German on Duolingo. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah I was interested in the language because uh, I have an interest in European folklore and mythology and uh, the, the German language um, covers a lot of that um, obviously Germany has a rich uh, tradition of, of folklore so that's why I was interested in it I have a friend of mine who's uh, he, he is German and he's a performance poet and when you listen to him um, you know, on stage, it comes out in this amazing kind of lyrical, really flowy way. And you don't expect German to sound like that because you're just sort of so used to hearing it and kind of like, you know, spitting everywhere. Like, yeah, I, angry. I just, very yeah. angry. Yeah. 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 Very angry. So stuff. I just, I just love it. When we were getting prepared for the open mic, you know, about, about translations and language, um, my favorite line by Neruda is for me who goes in singing with a sword among defenseless men. That's, uh, something I can I connect with very personally, because when you come full on uh, with your heart in your poetry, it's just, there's no defense against it. And, uh, and uh, wh- when I was looking up the translations, I had to, f- I had to search through five different translations to find that exact line, the way I remember it. And all of the different renderings were so very different. I should have wrote them down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, just a changing, you know, a single word, just ch- it, uh, it changes the entire, like strata of, of the uh, of the poem really mm. I, 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 I'm left thinking you know I, I, I thought that the poem was very nice now uh, Missy Orwin uh, Black uh, but it, yeah. I, I am left thinking that, like we're, we're kind of at the mercy of the of the of the translator uh, as, as to how the translator wants to, to kind of translate it so it's coherent kind of thing you know I mean exactly. uh, definitely the it does sound very tight especially the the I, you know, it was noted that the syllable count was very tight. It was like, you know, um, that's that's very tight. I thought, you know, um, and stuff. So, it, and like while while Till, what's his name? Till something. Till, Till Linderman. Till Linderman, yeah. Till. 
Um, that's a mad name, isn't it? First name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it is that, you know, and I like that. I, I, I've never actually consciously listened to Ramstein, you know, or, or uh, if it's been on and I've heard it, I, I haven't turned it off, anything, you know. But uh, it, is, it is good that you, that you found that and showed it out there, you know. You know, uh, when you do learn German properly, I suppose, well, not even not even properly, but you, you would be in a position to translate poems down yourself, and, you know, translated by Missy uh, Murray, you know. So that, that's something to look forward to there. Um, well, Ethan, uh, what, what did you think of, of, of Black? Well, I mean, I've read On Quiet Nights by Till Lindemann, because I'm a Rammstein fan myself. Um, and I've always liked the fact that, you know, even in his music and even in obviously his poetry that he actually there's really not a change like between the lyrics and his poems obviously I don't know the original translation I don't know the original language of uh, the poem black but he's always had this way of I don't really know how to explain it but he he doesn't care like about how he present how he wants to present himself and that's what I've always sort of stood for is stand your ground and kind of if you believe in something then just do it and and I like that about Till Lindemann and he also expresses that through his poetry you know because he's you know he's wrote some really dark lyrics and he's wrote some really dark po- uh, poems that are very poignant and very profound and are about his life and about the world around him and like his kind of his his translation of the world and what's going on in society and I've always liked that he doesn't mind embracing that kind of darkness and that's something that I really like about him and also I kind of like the fact in the poem obviously given I don't know the original way it's written but I'll just take this translation for example you know I like the fact that he's kind of said you know you know, darkness is is an ecstasy. You know, it's kind of a way of saying, well, I need darkness to understand the difference between what's light and what's dark, and I kind of like that. It's kind of like his version of yin and yang. So that's kind of what I got from the poem. So that's just something I've picked up, and obviously over time and over the years listening to Ramstein and um, obviously reading On Quiet Nights, haven't read the new book yet, um, that's something that I've always sort of picked up with Till Lindemann and, you know, and I, that's just something that, you know, I hope people continue to do. That's what I got. All right. Sybil, you've, uh, you've won a poem, that is. The poem is called uh, Yellow Moon and it was written in uh, December of last year. And it goes... Yellow moon caught in branches above the town. On a night so cold, you hesitate to stop moving. I know I'm not a good person. Quick to anger, gluttonous. Riddled with misanthropy like insects burrowing in meat. Looking at that yellow moon, imagining a horde of freaks gathered in its jaundiced glare. I see myself stood on the curb, all black in formal shirt, trousers. A Protestant prude in the body of a red-faced monk. What vampires, where beasts, and simply insane things would gather in that sickly light, beneath a naked tree, enjoining weird sabbats to English Christian land. I know I'm not a good person, and so I think myself a pale and depraved warlock, suddenly at peace, in surety of joy divorced from all the mundane elements, 
the factories and shops and life. The white moon on its Christmas float across Jerusalem's high streets. Feeling the cold, I walk away at last. The yellow moon stays in its black bower, resting for its excursion. I know. I know I'm not a good person. All right. That's, uh, I don't, you know what? I, I thought I'd read all yours and I, I thought I would remember it when, when you, when, when you, uh, when you spoke. I didn't, you wrote it last year, so I was probably on a, probably on a fucking drug screen just like that. You, know? <laughs> you should remember it. It's in your reading list according to Deep Underground Poetry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I tell you what. I like it. I like your. I actually like your style. Uh, you know, because you know, if you if you listen to a, well, if I listen to a, 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 let's say a band I know, uh, let's say uh, I, I like like let's say U two or Tunisia or something like that, I'd always know by uh, by the first couple of drum beats or the first kind of uh, notes of a guitar. I'd say, oh yeah, that's them, even if it's a new song that I've never heard before. Like, you know? uh, and I think you you have that. You know, you have that in yourself. Uh, anyway, probably without without kind of, uh, without trying, you know, consciously trying to be you. You're just kind of you, you know. Um, yeah, full, full disclosure, I was originally uh, slated to read uh, The Bluebell by Emily Bronte, which is a good poem. You can look it up. I like that poem very much, but it didn't really say anything to me. I was just trying to find, desperately trying to find something with a colour in the title. But then it's yeah. like, same, same here. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 I thought that would be a better one to read just because, um, well, I mean, obviously it's more personal to me because I wrote it. But uh, part of the reason I write poetry is to, without sounding too poncy about it, uh, actualize uh, myself, as in to understand myself as a three-dimensional person, as a human being. Because quite often uh, I feel like just, uh, I don't know, I, I, I struggle to understand myself and I struggle to uh, uh, realise my place in the world. And, and poetry is kind of a way of looking at myself from outside myself. And that's mm-hmm. what I get out of Yellow Moon. Uh, sorry, but and what, what we talked about earlier on there about, you know, your use of colours and what, what you would apply them to, you know, um, there, there, you, there you see it there in your own your own stuff there now right i'm not saying that you know you'd apply the same kind of things to the same color all the time or maybe you do you know maybe you would kind of thing maybe it's something that you, that you fall into kind of thing you know but i i think i would anyway you know a lot of time you know unless i think of something new and think oh that's great uh, or something, you know? but um yeah i really like that now i'm gonna have to go visit that again and, uh, and read it again i'll say yellow moons have always struck me as uh sickly and a bit sinister i think what what i found about the poem is that i don't know why but i always find this kind of secret like pagan message in your writing um (laughs) and maybe i don't know why i always go there with what you write but there's always some sort of like weird kind of undertone to it that feels very folklory um and maybe that's just how you write. I don't know, but that um, is quite, yeah, that's both, I would say that's both intentional and and unintentional. Yeah, um, I like I folklore. It's just uh, naturally how I write anyway. What What I kind of found interesting is that you've got the mention of the two different colours of the moon. So you've got the white moon 
which you kind of associate with Christmas in Jerusalem. And then you've got the yellow moon, which is associated with like, you know, kind of in all its glory. But you you kind of reveal yourself before that moon rather than the white one. Um, So I just found that quite interesting that you chose that image. Yeah, um, I tend to use quite a bit of Christian imagery in in poems because I was raised Christian and um, uh, but I've always felt distant from it and part of the reason I moved away from Christianity was because of its teachings on uh, homosexuality for instance so I've always felt freakish in that sense and different from it so part of what I uh, love about paganism is uh, the rejection of the very restrictive order of Christianity, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You would understand what you heathen. Basically, <laughs> Given paganism was around before Christianity, it's not necessarily that they rejected it, because it wasn't there in the first place for them to reject anything, was it? Or is that me just... Well, I'm, well, I'm talking in a very English sense of how the older pagan sensibility was taken over by Christianity. Um, yeah. In that so sense, it, it was almost a rejection because, you know, when, when Christianity did come in to, to these lands, you know, everything was eradicated. Even the festivals, you know, were, were, were blanked out because they were seen as, as ways that were not of God. Um hmm. You know, so everything was, in a sense, rejected and and washed away. Incidentally, that's why I've always I've always found the, the phrase "Christianized" very amusing because if you look at um uh, uh, historic uh, texts and histories, what "Christianized" means is genocide. So when it says um, <laughs> Charlemagne Christianized the islands, what it means is that he killed hundreds of pagans. Oh. Well, it's the same same Patrick. He Christianized Ireland more or less, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. Nice Welsh man like him. Did Saint Patrick drive out the snakes, or am I thinking of someone else? What? Did Saint Patrick drive out the snakes, according to legend? Yeah, well, they yeah. the snakes were the pagans, weren't they? Oh, I see. They're right. That makes sense. Yeah. Jack, um, what I thought of when I was listening to you, oh, crap, you're gonna have to blurt that out, Sybil. What I thought uh, when I was reading, or when I was listening to your poem was, um, it's such a vulnerable line to just say I'm I'm not a good person. I mean, who doesn't think that at some point in their life? And you can connect so strongly with your audience uh, the more vulnerable that that you are. And uh, I thought it was just beautifully uh, constructed. I mean, I've, I uh, I do a lot of critiquing on the site. That's the main thing that I do. And um, the reason I do it is because you know everybody who posts wants to have a voice and I want to pe- let people know there's someone who's listening, you know? So, um, one of the things I'm always telling people is that colors have a particularly anchoring effect on the psyche. And, uh, so in my own writing, I'm, uh, when I'm looking back through it and I'm redacting things, I'm careful about the, uh, the effect that I'm having with whatever colors I invoke. And, uh, the yellow moon, um, I thought of it very similar to the way that you described it. Um, in my own writing, once I was talking about, uh, 
because I, I like to play uh, video games was the Castlevania moon, the uh, the large yellow moon with the uh, oh with, yes, yeah, with the black clouds snaking across the kind mm-hmm. of ro- the kind of moon that a witch flies across on a broom, you know. And uh, and I was thinking also of um, train spotting at the end where he's talking about how he's not a good person but how he's going to uh, to you know change his ways and write himself. And there's the understanding when he's making that speech that maybe it won't come about. Maybe he'll stay the person that he is and uh, he'll still you know be uh, experimenting with drugs and stealing and whatever. But there's just that that sense of uh, of hopefulness and uh, and of of really exploring and trying to understand who you are that is just so very human. Uh, and uh, I connected with that, and it's in through your right. It's just, oh God, it was just beautifully proportional, just wonderfully done. I mean, nothing superfluous. Thank you, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, as I say, poem um, was about actualizing myself in a sense, and just also about um, exploring some of the flaws I find in myself. Hence the refrain, I know I'm not a good person. What 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 I found like particularly interesting. I mean, I've only read a few of your pieces, but you say about you know that your way of writing poetry is the way of like trying to understand your place in the world and what's going on with you. And what I found really interesting about like Yellow Moon was the line where you said gathered in its jaundiced in its jaundiced glare, I see myself stood on the curb, all in all black informal, sh- all black informal shirt trousers, mm-hmm. and the yellow moon itself, like the contrast in the two colours, like. But it also, it kind of for me, I got an eclipse, eclipse imagery in my head, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, and obviously, you talk about obviously like the yellow moon being sickly, and. I want to refer back to what you said about understanding yourself and your place in the world. Like it conveyed a kind of imagery to me that, you know, obviously, because I assumed that this took place at night time and the moon's out, um, that you're actually invisible and the moon is actually looking at you. And obviously, you know, your description of the yellow moon being sickly. And obviously you say the line about not being a good person. You know, like it just conveyed a lot of imagery to me in my head, but I thought it was really interesting. No, 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 that is a um, that is a very interesting interpretation. I have to say, um, oh, uh, I find your your comments about the eclipse very interesting. Um, the reason I describe myself as wearing all black is just because I was at the time. Um, I was just standing on the curb, but the 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 idea of the poem, as I say, came to me as I was walking to catch a taxi. I was standing at the curb near the retirement complex and I was wearing all black because I mostly wear all black because I am an emo. Emo <laughs> rules. <laughs> That's what I'm wearing uh, right now, down to my socks. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say it was because, you know, I'm the Johnny Cash figure, but really it's because uh, <laughs> someone wants to trick me into thinking that black is a slimming colour and now I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> also, also why I wear it's, I think this thing is, I say it's a slimming colour, it just makes me look like a big titty goth GF. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, much to Eamon's annoyance, because I don't have a colour in my title. Uh, this is by Holly McNish from her work piece called Sketches, and it's called Decorating the Nursery. No baby gives a fuck. 
never has not one single fuck the shape of rug they roll on colour bib they dribble on made for clothes they wear to shit and piss and crawl and learn so if you have the cash or love to paint then do it spend decorate but for those who don't or can't or can't be asked, please remember this no baby gives a shit never has not one single shit what frill frill of wool what picture frames what style of shells you hammer in to sit their books and toys upon so long as they can trust the face that smiles and reads and plays with them they're fine i really like that i think that's my favorite one i've heard tonight (laughs) nice it's um rare enough to find a poem about babies that um speaks to the whole truth about it kind of thing you know i remember when my shauna was born um you know uh I, oh geez i hope she's not gonna listen to this but you know she uh, uh, like you know for the her mother was a neighbor for something like eight hours you know and uh and out pops this thing and i say thing because it was gray uh and it was like the nurse was like i hear hold your baby and i'm saying i think i'd rather not now to be honest with you you know clean it up there to fuck um and i and i, and I thought to myself you know uh, a lot of people say, oh, it's a beautiful baby and all that kind of... But, I mean, most babies are born fucking ugly, you know? They are. I mean, you know, it, like, I don't know. Uh, that's what I think anyway, you know? They they kind of grow into their beautifulness after about uh, six or seven weeks or something like that, you know? But at first, they're ugly as fuck, man. Uh, now, I'm not just talking about my own kids, because I, I looked at other kids that were born, just to make sure. Uh, and they are. Uh, you know, so it's uh, we have this kind of a thing, you know, we all do, I, I think, you know, where we're, we'll just lie anyway, you know, ah, uh, that's you know, that's a beautiful baby, and uh, you know, and we kind of pussyfoot around stuff like that, you know, oh, the baby loved this, you know, baby loved this thing, uh, you know, this fucking uh, thing that throws lights on the ceiling and all that, and all that. but like whoever wrote that poem says. The baby doesn't give a fuck, you know. Um, it'd probably rather hear your voice or, or hear the music of EastEnders if it's been hearing it for for all of its kind of nine months ingestion or whatever like that. It doesn't, you know. It's uh, so I like that about it, you know. Um, obviously there's a there's a more more of an under un, underlying thing going on there as well, you know. I mean, it's 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 probably looking at the you know materialistic, uh, materialistic kind of uh, you know holdings that that parents might have, you know. Uh, you'll, you'll have to get this you know nike fucking runners and all, all this kind of carry on you know but at the end of the day you know like like um whoever wrote that you know they, they they really don't give a fuck really you know i mean once they have you know a bit of milk maybe uh and someone to kind of get the the wind from from them out like that's that's more or less it really you know i mean obviously they'd give a fuck if they had um lots of wind or whatever you know uh, and that you know they give a fuck. But yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, like Jack says, it's probably the probably the you know most and it's entertaining as well as more than anything else. I found that poem kind of entertaining. Um, you know, I really like how every poem I've heard tonight has a very different emotional register. For instance, uh, Dan's uh, poem uh, has a melancholic feel to it. I feel like uh, the one that Missy read had a slightly more aggressive feel to it. And the one that uh, Boy Brains just read, uh, sorry, Ethan, I was just, just a dual username, um, <laughs> uh, has a more kind of sarcastic, comedic feel to it. 
And I, I really, I really liked the the kind of uh, down to earth sarcasm of that poem. I thought that was very amusing. I, I seem to find it like it was the play on words that kind of made me chuckle. The thought that that she said, "Not baby gives one." single shit and I thought well <laughs> that's actually what children do best mm. shit everywhere <laughs> and I just found that quite sort of endearing in a way the way that she kind of cut down to the bare bones of everything I just found that's really sort of relatable the brashness kind of really works in her favor and I think that's something that she does um particularly well and it's the way that she kind of um emphasized the phrase please remember this in that so many people have sort of forgotten it and that it seems to be a kind of material trend almost that people feel that they have to get this, they have to get that, they have to do this, they have to do that. And yeah, I just appreciate that it places par- all sort of all parents on a, on a level playing field really. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite empowering in that sense, I think. Um, just uh, I have a question there, just uh, of, of the author uh, herself. Is there uh, is that is that a team that, that she would kind of uh, use a lot in, in in her in her writing, kind of brashness, kind of sarcasmish kind of stuff? Or, oh, good, yes. She she is in she is laden with English humour and just sarc very very dry. <laughs> sarcasm in all her work she talks about things that people she's the kind of person who (laughs) talks about things that no brits talk about or you know it's kept at home so to speak like she'll she'll just write about it and just really just not care what's Um, the name holly mcnish okay calls a spade a spade basically (laughs) (laughs) um but she she just calls it how she kind of sees it and but yeah she I just love her way of she will she can kind of say something with such and really with such simple simple language that it will have so it'll be laden with undertones and that's what I love about her and um and a few other sort of like British poets that are kind of around at the moment that are contemporary they they just have this way with using just really the bare bones of language but they can just fill it with so much undertone in like one poem and that's what I love about and that's kind of what I love about her she's just so good at coining things you know like for me personally with a poem um I like the fact that she's you know spoke sort of about you know she did speak about colour in that poem because she talks about decorating and painting you know the baby's not going to look at the wall and think fucking hell it's blue or it's pink you know it's going to go it's it's not going to care and that's kind of what I loved about it that's kind of one of the interpretations I got from the poem and uh and just the emphasis that us adults put on kids and just you know things in general we want to put everything in a pigeonhole you know, but we're human beings first before all of that. The tin can came thing later. I, one thing I got from it was um, a satirical focus on uh, middle class English people, people mm. who put who put up who put up who put a lot of money into decking out the nursery and 
dressing up their baby in all the right clothes when, of course, the, the baby itself doesn't care. The baby just wants to be loved and cared for. But the parents uh, in that very uh, horrible British middle class way are very concerned with status. So I felt that was a satirical kind of um, undertone of the poem was taking the piss out of those kind of uh, yummy mummy uh, idiots. Yeah. <laughs> you see about. Definitely. I think as, as well, um, you know, when you mentioned Blue and Pink there, it's just something I remember watching on um, QI there a good few years ago, was um, that whole thing was, uh, was the other way around, you know, in the, what's it, the 18th century, 17th century, anyway. Um, yeah, it, it was even, even in the 20s, I have to say. Even, even in the 20s, it was the other way around, I think. Mama. Yeah, it was pink for, uh, pink for boys and, and, and blue. Do for girls, and, this, and I think it was the monarchy that kind of changed it. Kind of. Well, I mean, even, even in the twenties, like Roosevelt, when he when he was a baby, um, he wore like pink frilly gowns and things. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Now that was nice. Uh, that was nice. All right. Now it's a shame there was there was no colour in the title, but I suppose we've been open. Huh? So, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Uh, I I picked WBH this time around because. Uh, I wanted to kind of uh, I, I I normally stay away from Irish uh, Irish poets, especially the the kind of classical ones, because I don't really like I don't really like their rhyme scheme and things, you know. Like in most of them, Yeats being all all these uh, all these people. I don't know. Um, I, I've never read much Oscar Wilde. Um, Sybil, I know you have. Is, is, is that the same with him? Now is that is that an A A B kind of rhyme scheme going on with him, or is it? Um. It's been a while since I've read Wilde's poetry, but it is extremely formal. Uh, there's there's none of the uh, humour or uh, what's the word um, irreverence that you would see in the rest of his work. It is, it is very very structured. Yeah. See, I feel the same formulaic rhyme schemes. They just tend to turn me off right away. I look for something that's more conversational you know it's, it's more intimate well it depends well it depends how well it's done i've read lots of you know beautiful poetry that's that's written with rhyme schemes and formal things but it just has to be done well and yeah. if you're not naturally if you don't have a flair for it and you don't like that particularly then i would suggest yeah just forgetting about rhymes and just focusing on the language how it sounds as you read it yeah now, I, I, there was a, a kind of a competition there in the national newspaper a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, where, you know, they're asking everybody to throw in a, put in a, you know, first time a, a poem. So I did, you know, and I, and I put mine in and I got, got my email back, I think the next day saying, more of this, fuck off, which was <laughs> fine, you know, uh, like it, it was fine. I didn't really mind that so much because obviously it's, it's going to happen, you know, once anyway, at least. Uh, but, you know, what, what? What annoyed me more than anything else was uh, rather than publish my fucking poem, which was all right now, I have to say, it wasn't it wasn't the worst ever. Uh, they published one from the president, uh, uh, Higgins is his name. Oh, fuck. And, they did. And it's like something I, I, I would have wrote maybe when I wasn't writing poetry at all, ever, you know. And I was thinking, publishing that shite, absolute trite, shite stuff, and then sending me an email telling me... Uh, mine wasn't good enough, you know. So uh, yeah, uh, it's. I think um, is it is it something? That, I mean, we're we're the, we're the country of scholars and poets and 
lyricists and all that kind of carry on. And we have some great ones, you know, uh, and we're, where rhyme scheming, uh, you know, it comes into its own kind of thing, you know. I mean, even the one I, I, I read there, Patrick Kavanagh, you know, that, that had a rhyme scheme, but it, 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 whatever way he wrote it, you know, it's, um, it, it, when you speak it it, 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 it speaks nice, you know, and I like that, I like that way. Now, WB8. Yeah, yeah, WB8. Um, I, I, I haven't. I have to kind of delve into all these more. So I'm gonna try over the next uh, couple of months or whatever to try and you know dig out some, um, dig out some that that I like. You know, now I'm not necessarily saying I like this one, um, but it was, um, it was, <laughs> it was the one I could find that had uh, a color in the title. Now it's not, it's not bad. I like it. It's not, you know, I don't dislike it. Or anything like that, you know. Um, there are certain things about it that I don't like, and I'll go into that uh, in a minute. But um, I'll, I'll read it first anyway. Um, it's called The Whiteboards um, by W.B. Yates. I would that we were, my beloved, white birds on the foam of the sea. We tire of the flame mm-hmm. of the meteor before it can fade mm-hmm. and flee. And the flame of blue star of twilight hung low on the rim of the sky. Has awakened in our hearts, my beloved, a sadness that may not die. A weariness comes from these dreamers, dew dabbled the lily and rose. Ah, dream, not of them, my beloved, of the flame of the meteor that goes, or the flame of the blue star that lingers hung low in the fall of the dew. For I would, we were changed to white birds on the wandering foam, I and you. I am haunted by the numberless islands and many at Denan shore, where time would surely forget us and sorrow come near us no more. Soon, far from the rose and the lily and fret of the flames would we be, were we only white birds, my beloved, buoyed out on the foam of the sea. Now, there's a lot of punctuation in there, exclamation marks and semicolons, colons, all sorts of carry on, you know. But uh, I don't know whether they, they actually do anything to help. Uh, the, now, I, I, I'll just start off what I didn't really like about it first. It the, the first couple of words, I would that we were, my beloved. Um, I would what though? I, you know, I would love, I, you know, I would hate, I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. It's just me. It's not just me. Um, but it's a classical phrase. Uh, you know what? I like the continuity of the poem. I like the way you know where he starts off uh, talking about the flame and the meteor and the and the sea and and and, and such that he keeps on talking about it. You know, more or less through the one, two, three, four, three stanzas uh, of the thing. You know, so I did like that. Um, and there are, you know, there are uh, there are kind of pointers towards colours. You know, the blue star, the the um, the lily and the rose and stuff, you know, it's it's not bad in terms of language and stuff. It's you know, it's not it's not uh, it's probably not the greatest ever, um, but it's not bad, you know. Um, I, so I I did like like that, you know. There's some words I I, I wasn't a hundred percent certain of. Uh, I'm haunted by the numberless islands and many a Danan shore. I don't actually know what Danan shore is, but uh, I'm sure he must have. Uh, you know. What was it? How was it? How was it spelled? Oh, capital D A N A A N. I think that's a biblical reference, but I'm not sure. All oh, right. right. Mm. 
Well, well, all in, you know, it's a short poem. It's uh, it's decent enough, um, and uh, in, in that way, I I, I liked it. Now, I, I'm not, it wasn't a huge, you know, I can't wait to read this kind of thing. Um, but it, it it wasn't bad, and and like I say, you know, I want to try and get through a few uh, a, a few you know classical Irish poets over the next couple of months anyway. You know? Um, so that's uh, the White Birds by. <laughs> that's my first time hearing that poem and i have to say i'm actually a huge fan of it i really enjoyed it i've read that one before uh, it seems like he's I'm just up, talking up, about uh... oh go ahead no i was just saying I, th- I think i like that a lot more than uh than the name one did but go ahead but uh you know he's um he's just talking about how he uh i guess suppose he just wants to be carefree he wants to focus on his love and uh, you know the uh, the life of a of a bird on the sea. How uh, how without all of the uh, complications of a human life you would have, um, how they could just be together. Very uh, very lovely romantic piece. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, but uh, did he did he think about it at all? I mean, right, you're not going to have your mortgage or any of that kind of carry on, but you're still <laughs> going to have your creditors and you're still going to have to get food. You know, and you're still going to have to. I'm sure if he was reciting that to like. His lady love, then she wouldn't say, "Oh yeah, Mister Yates, I know we don't have a mortgage, but we should have to worry about predators and all that." <laughs> you like, you know, get on me, Mister Yates, you saucy old poet. Yeah, probably, probably. By the way, by the way, I found out what Tadan means. If you're interested, it's not yeah. well, it's from Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Um, oh, right. Right. Uh, the other common name, sort of. It's an island. No, it's it's the name, it's the name of an island in, in the mythological area. Uh, the oh. other couple of names are Danan and Argive. Oh no, no, no! Sorry, it is a character. Sorry, no, you're right. It was character in the in the poem, um, the Iliad. Anyway, sorry, that's just a diversion. Yeah. So I think probably by saying Danan, he was trying to evoke uh, going on with the romanticism and the fantasy of of being a bird without cares and troubles. Yeah. Also going back to I guess a simpler time. To a more magical yeah. time. Like a, a white bird, too, so he's probably talking about the seagull, which, you know, probably aren't the most majestic looking birds. I, I don't know whether I like that poem at all. I think I want to pick a little. You know, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think you're much too, being much too cynical about this sweet little <laughs> love <life. laughs> Oh, you want to be a seagull to you, eating shitty chips off the promenade? <laughs> 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 Shit on statues and all that kind of, yeah. Come with me for a weekend and we shit on statues. I'd love to see what your mash notes to your girlfriend looks like. He must look like he. I was thinking about me and you being a couple of seagulls shitting on statues, pecking at tourists. (laughs) Just dick pics, like kind of small little words written on the shaft, you know, kind of thing, you know. I'm into you. All right. Um, I'm kind of in the same camp as Sybil, really, in that I am not a massive fan of, of I'm not going to say oh, classic poetry. I don't even like the term, honestly. I, I, it just annoys me. But I actually really enjoyed that piece uh, quite a lot. And I love that he uses white birds, you know, the seagulls. And then he also describes um you've got the the tail of the end of the meteor and to me that just said you know what that the meteor is brilliant but what about 
the simple things what about these white birds what about the waves what about things that are always there and as a sort of metaphor for love I think that's really quite powerful and he's also got towards the end there I'm haunted by numberless islands which shows this very sort of human side to his statements Mm -hmm. um, by saying that you know the everyday things remind him of his love and it was interesting to sort of read about Yeats you know being an Irish poet and I think I was more taken by the landscape that he would have been inspired by rather than the sort of contents of the poem because I know that you know every time I've been to an Irish coastline it feels very much like an English coastline in that it's kind of quite barren and quite grey and stony and you know industry is kind of like crumbling into the wave a little bit and it just feels quite sort of barren and I don't know, the fact that he can that, that he might have been inspired by that and that he might have got love from that imagery, I think is quite interesting. Mm. Yeats country isn't too far from me. Uh, I, I, I used to drive up to Sligo a lot. And uh, I suppose if if that's where he spent most of his time, you know, I, I, I've seen the kind of coastline that he would have been that he would have been uh, writing about, you know, and it, it is fairly rugged. Uh, and not very, not very industrialized, not too industrialized anyway. You know, it's, there's, it's still, you know, there's no port, there's no port there or anything. Not yet, anyway. Still, but yeah, I, I can understand what you're saying there. Mm. Like, uh, it is um, the white, white farm, and, and of course, you know, it, once you get a certain amount out to sea, anyway, you don't, you don't really see many birds anyway. Also. It would have had to have been probably observed from the from the coast rather than mid sea kind of thing, I'd imagine. Yeah, and I'm, just from what you you have been saying there, I'm I'm kind of warm to a little bit. I can understand what he's saying. Yeah, let's let's be let's be birds and uh, you know fuck everything else kind of thing. No, that's it's all right. Yeah. Ethan, I think that. Sorry, I'm going over my notes. Um, <laughs> like. I don't know. I kind of agree with um, Daniel in the sense that obviously he's talking about, you know, having freedom and wanting to spend it with somebody he loves and not having obviously the pressures and stresses of life. But I kind of what I really liked about this poem is, is that actually it's still relevant to today because what do we do? We go to work. We spend most of our time actually with our work colleagues and our bosses and with our jobs rather than actually the people that we love. Um, so it kind of made me think about, you know, it made me sit back and think, well, do we have enough time with the people that are, you know, the most important to us? So that's something that I kind of got from the poem. Like its relevance, it still carries. Fair enough. Well, I mean, there's still white words there, and there's still white poem there, and there's still people that love kind of thing. That's probably um one of those themes that that you know that are kind of timeless, I suppose. Yeah. I wonder if there's an element of um anti-industrial age about uh some of the poem, in terms of uh as Ethan said, it seems like he's talking about spending a lot of your time with your work colleagues and not with the people you love. I wonder, as this is, um, I think Yeats was 19th century, wasn't he? Um, there might be um, a yearning for the simpler life that existed in Ireland before the Industrial Age and perhaps before 
the land of gentry before the English came over and fucked everything up. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, before we started, like literally minutes before we we started recording, uh, I was having a conversation uh, with one of our friends in DU and I thought it was kind of interesting and relevant to to what we're doing in strong language and that um, you have to keep in mind how much uh, of yourself you project onto what you experience, you know, and, um, Something because I do so much critique that I try to keep in mind was my favorite quote from Ovid's uh, *The Metamorphosis*, which was uh, "Quid rides mutato nomine de te fabula narrator," which was "Why do you laugh? Change but the name, and the story is about yourself." Um, oh yeah. Now the the thing about that now, um, Sybil, was uh, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll have to check it again, but I'm pretty sure Yeats was part of a movement. Um, Gaelic League, and I think he would have been he, he would have been paramount in the theatre movement where they where they tried to bring culture back uh, back in, you know. But I, I I'm pretty sure one of the one in one of his plays he wrote about um, the terrible beauty awakens, you know, uh, which is actually the nationalist movement he was talking about, you know. Uh, and he was kind of in two minds. Well, not necessarily in two minds. He kind of he had it he had it kind of fairly bang on there at that time that uh, it, it it's a terrible beauty you know at, at, on, at, on one side it's kind of you know there's a beauty uh, but on the other side it's not you know um so yeah he would have been he would have been 19th century uh, uh and into the 20th century i imagine too you know yes that could be wrong so there you have it. That's uh, our strong language for, for this month. Um, as usual, we will stick the, the links for all the poems here in our show notes of the, the podcast, and you can go and have a look at them yourself. Um, I'd urge you to go, especially to our homegrown links of um, Daniel and Silly Sybil, and have a look at them there. That's all that's left for me to do is to thank myself, Eamon Solzay, to Silly Sybil, bye brains, Missy demeanor and by no means least boy brains. Thank you all very <laughs> much for coming on and uh, maybe we can see you again here next month. Deep underground poetry dot com Dandelion A Study of Self A turbulent sea of vibrant yellow florets grow with natural dissipation. They never consider that some find them to be a blight upon the civilized palate, an irksome weed requiring annihilation. Despite this notion of noxious impropriety, there lies a genus of prescriptive healing properties. The seed head, a magic wishmaker, is cunning in its defiance. A light wisp of breath scatters the tiny pods, each land without ceremony, anticipating fertile ground with which to germinate. It never contemplates whether it is beautiful or useful. It simply continues to grow.